Welcome into Division Two Sports. Today is Thursday, March 11th. Joining me recording live from the Gator House are Blake and Chris. Boys, big week of sports ahead. How are we feeling? Huge week. Also very excited and just throw it out there. We are not missing Terrell Hall in the slightest. The studio looks awesome right now, but very, very excited for this week we got ahead of us. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk a little basketball. We got uh, Georgia Tech Miami on when we're recording right now. So we're getting into the heat of things with the tournament. It's exciting. Yeah, a lot of good basketball as we sit here in our court. But um, on today's episode, we have our interview with Georgia basketball legend J.J. Frazier. We also talk about the conference tournament week leading up to Selection Sunday, NFL free agency heating up, and the players tournament, which gets underway this weekend down in Ponte Vedra at TBC Sawgrass. But we'll start with the uh, conference tournaments. Uh, conference tournaments got in full swing on Tuesday and Wednesday, and they are every tournament is playing right now. Um, but we'll get started with the ACC. Just came across the news that Duke is going to be out of the tournament. Um, it wasn't looking like Duke was going to win the whole thing, being a 10 seed, but that would have been a good uh, matchup against Florida State. Yeah, I agree. I was excited for that matchup, man. I thought it was going to be the matchup of the whole tournament, maybe. I mean, Florida State is a hell of a basketball team. Duke looked like they were getting it together when it mattered. I know that, you know, things happen. It's a weird year with COVID. But this is not back-to-back tournaments they've had to withdraw from. And someone said it earlier. It was like their way out to not having to, you know, reject their bid to the NIT because they probably wouldn't have got into the tournament. So it's interesting, but I do think they had a better chance to win the tournament than people are acting. Sticking with the ACC, too, we just watched uh, the upstate white boy Syracuse get knocked at the buzzer by uh, favored Virginia. That was unfortunate to see because Syracuse played a good game. But we're expecting Syracuse to make the tournament still, aren't we? I believe so. I mean, Jim Beheim, like I, I was know. discussing earlier. So you know they love the bubble. He but... does bracketology more than Joe Lenardi, so we will see for that. But um, ultimately, in the ACC, Georgia Tech's playing right now, but the top three teams are Virginia, Florida State, and Virginia Tech. Um, me and Blake earlier took Florida State to win the tournament at around plus 250. That obviously is going to get uh, – they're going to get a free pass in the first round, not having to play Duke and face the winner of Virginia Tech versus UNC. Um, but ultimately, this, this conference's tournament is going to be Saturday night. I'll start with Chris. Chris, who do you got taking home the ACC tournament? You know, I was going to – I'm going to roll with Florida State. Word to Buckley. I mean, I wanted to bet him last year, actually, right before COVID kind of came and took everything down. You're unfortunately having those problems with the futures, at least on the national championship. But I'll roll with Florida State. Uh, I don't think they'll uh, look at this cancellation as too much of a handout. I'm going to roll with Florida State as well. Um, there's a couple of different reasons that I'm going to roll with them, but ultimately it comes down to the free pass that they don't have to play against Duke. I don't want them to have an asterisk next to their ACC tournament win, but Virginia didn't look very impressive today against Syracuse. And I think that, you know, they're not going to play them in the next round. So might have another bit of an easy game, not taken away from Virginia Tech. That's who they'd probably be in line to play. Is that correct? If they beat North Carolina tonight. Right. And North Carolina is the favorite, I believe. Is that right? I think I think North Carolina should be the favorite in that game. So, you know, North Carolina versus Florida State is not going to be an easy game for them, hypothetically saying North Carolina wins. So we're going to we're going to have a hell of a hell of a few days here watching the rest of this tournament, because I don't really know what's going to happen. But Duke being out of it definitely screws things up. Well, you know, uh, I thought this tournament was between Florida State and Virginia all along. 
Um, I don't see a lot of other, you know, the AC has had a, it's been a bad year for them, but I'm going to take Florida State, like I said, and uh, we'll see if that <laughs> comes to fruition Saturday Uh-oh. night. What can go wrong? What can go wrong? Um, but we'll move on to the SEC. The SEC got underway uh, last night with A&M versus Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is currently playing Florida now, um, but with these SEC teams, it's just been some competitive basketball all year long. Uh, you know, you're getting teams right around uh, just above 500 in terms of their conference wins. Um, but Alabama is the favorite, but following them are some razor-thin uh, odds to win this tournament. So pretty much anything can happen. Uh, but, Blake, I'll start with you. Do you think that Alabama can continue their dominance and close it out on Sunday? I mean, this this tournament to me is fairly lackluster. I know it's competitive basketball, and it's, you know, right, right in that time where it really matters. But I'm not super thrilled about this tournament in comparison to some others. I think that the lack of Kentucky being – or with Kentucky now being out of the tournament, that always takes away from things. It's good to have those blue bloods in, in the tournament. It's important. So, Coach Cowan got bounced today. He's probably a little bit upset. Uh, he's probably listening right now. But, you know, the real issue for me right now with this SEC tournament is I think that Alabama is the clear-cut favorite. But I don't know what we're going to get from these competitive, defensively strong teams, Arkansas, Tennessee, teams like that. I think that Vanderbilt winning last night was also kind of surprising. I thought A&M could be a team, even though they're at the bottom, that could actually end up surprising a couple of teams. Um, the SEC is really weak compared to some of these other conferences, but the competition is definitely there. Definitely a weird year for SEC basketball when it comes to Kentucky just not being uh, the clear-cut number one. I'm going to go a little bit off script with my pick, and I'm going to go with the Ole Miss Rebels to win the SEC. They've Whoa. kind of been a uh, – They've been kind of a sturdy team that doesn't really get enough credit during the uh, regular season, and they've been hanging around being, uh, being a little bit fierce. So I'm going to take them to win the SEC. The Hotties Hotties. They got South Carolina in this round of the SEC tournament yeah, tonight at nine. Is, uh, tonight at nine. But, I mean, you can get some tremendous value there in Ole Miss, and they have played well at some points this season. Um, but I ultimately think this is going to be in the top four seeds. I mean, you look at Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, and Tennessee, I don't see any other team uh, winning the tournament other than those four, but I'm going to take Alabama. I think this is their year. Uh, Their coach just won coach of the year. It's not fair that they get each football and basketball, Um, but that's what's crazy. (laughs) These guys are a basketball school. (laughs) And, you know, when I went there, Colin Sexton was making his way into the, into, you know, college basketball and Avery Johnson was the coach. And there was a completely different dynamic about Alabama basketball, some excitement, some renewed confidence. And, Sexton took them over that point where they got a lot more, you know, energy surrounding the team. And then now, you know, the, the, the new system that they've been running just works and it's exciting. I will say that Alabama basketball is a fun team to watch this year. Yeah, they're very good. And uh, that's why I'm going to take them. Although literally anything can happen in this tournament. I mean, it can happen in all of them, but this, this one specifically is, yeah. is razor thin in terms of who is going to walk away uh, with the title. Um, but we'll move on to the Big Ten, which is also a very, very competitive division. But obviously, these teams are good rather than the SEC, who only has two ranked opponents. Um, but I'll start with Michigan because they are the one seed and have played awesome all year. Um, but, Blake, I'll go to you. Why do you think Michigan will walk away uh, with the Big Ten this, this weekend? They're so good, like, as a team. It's beautiful basketball. Um, I'm not the biggest college basketball guy. But Michigan really got me into college basketball earlier than I typically, you know, jump back in. I, I, 
and typically a last week before March type guy. And this year I was, uh, I was actually watching near the end of January, going into February, getting excited about some of this Big Ten action. You know, you have a lot of really competitive teams, and you don't really know what you're going to get with this conference either. But I think that the clear-cut favorite should be Michigan. I think Michigan is the best team in the conference. They had a couple of bad losses here late in the season, um, Michigan State being one of them. I think they're playing today. Um, you know, you have a lot of high-level teams in this conference, and I would love to see Juwan Howard win the Big Ten tournament because a lot of people around, around, the, around the Michigan Wolverines fan base were really excited about that. And I'm not a Big Ten guy, but it's good to see the Big Ten have a little bit of excitement and, you know, competitive rivalries going on again with Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, because I feel like the Big Ten was a little bit lackluster. And I don't want to forget Iowa. Luca Garza is still playing in this thing, and I think that that's a team to watch out for. I think they're the two or the three seed. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, gonna, they're not, not going to play tonight. Um, but they're a team that I think could, uh, could be a force to be reckoned with. I think Michigan and Iowa will be the conference championship game. Speaking of Juwan Howard, I think he just came away with uh, Coach of the Year award. And it was honestly kind of – it was really interesting and very positive to see how Michigan was able to transfer from Beeline uh, leaving for the Cavaliers to former player Juwan Howard and him doing a great job. Uh, but my pick for the Big Ten, I'm going to go with Illinois. Illinois has been kind of a scrappy That's a team. Pick. That's a hot pick. And, you know, just, I, I just can't get the image of what they did to Michigan a couple weeks ago uh, out of my mind. And, I mean, if they're, they can play at that level of basketball, I don't see anyone in the Big Ten that could beat them. I mean, maybe Iowa and Luka Garza in their squad, but I'm going to roll with Illinois. No, I agree with you. The Illini have been uh, especially impressive. I remember back in January when people thought that Duke was good, they just smoked Duke at Cameron Indoor. Um, but in this tournament, something that we should be on the lookout for is Illinois versus Iowa. That will be the semifinal game to get into the tournament. If that takes place, that's just going to be an awesome game. Um, each Illinois and Iowa have been awesome this year. I want to see a uh, Michigan-Ohio State game to get into the semi or to get into the final as well. I think that'd be great. Um, but like I said, if we can get this Illinois-Iowa matchup, that'd be awesome. But I agree. I agree with that. And I, I want to give a shout out to my boy, Kofi Cockburn, man, for the, for one of the craziest names in basketball. <laughs> um, how do you not like that guy? He just rocks that name and he's just a badass on the court. He dominates the paint for that team and he's a real difference maker. And he got hot when uh, I forget the guy's name or how to pronounce it off the top of my head, but Illinois had a big, big player go out for them and uh, it was their leading scorer. And then Cockburn just really stepped up. And since then, he hadn't looked back. And I think that he's got a little bit of an advantage going into the tournament. So, we'll see. Him and Luca Garza is going to be a hell of a matchup if we can get it. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is probably the conference I'm the most excited about just because of the amount of teams in it that are that good and have been all year. Um, so, that uh, championship game will be Sunday, I believe. Um, and then we'll have selection Sunday follow it right after. Um, real quick with the Big 12, I know it's far and away. Baylor's to lose. They play right now. They're playing Kansas State. It's a close one, though. It is a close one. Um, but do you see any team dethroning the Bears? Because I only have one in mind. I'm not going to exactly pick a certain team to do it, but Baylor just flirts with losing. Like, it seems like every time they play, they keep it close. And, you know, they keep you on the edge of your seat. So I would not be surprised at all if a team did, was able to outlast Baylor and knock them off. But right now, I'd probably still roll with Baylor. I'm going with a high value pick here. I think that he might be the best player in the country. And uh, Cade Cunningham, I'm going with Oklahoma State Cowboys. I think that they 
proved today that they can play with the big boys. They're a legitimate team. Played really well against Oklahoma at the end of the season. I think that the Big 12 is a very competitive conference as well. And this is why college basketball is so exciting this time of year because you don't know what you're going to get. They're a five seed, okay? And they just played West Virginia in a nail-biter. I think that I think that Oklahoma State's a really underrated team going into the tournament. I think that they are going to get there. I think that they are going to be in the championship game of the conference tournament. I just – I don't know if I'd lay the money. I don't know what the value is or if you can even get it at this point, but – I, I think that Oklahoma State's a force to be reckoned with. I'd agree with you, but the team that I am looking to upset Baylor is number two, Kansas. Uh, Kansas okay. is a very experienced and tenured team, as we know, in March. Uh, Bill Self at the home. And, you know, these guys have been inconsistent, but I think they're going to step up when it matters, and I think they can uh, take down Baylor. But who knows? As we, as we post this podcast, you know, Kansas State Wildcats could upset the Bears, so – we will be on the lookout for that. Big Marcus Garrett with the Jayhawks today, right? It's gonna be it's gonna be a good one today. Who? Do, what time do they play at? Um, Kansas is at six thirty. Six thirty. There's it's a Oklahoma. lot of good action at six thirty. Yeah, definitely so good we'll action. Look out for that. A lot of good basketball uh, this weekend and the next. But Selection Sunday will kick off uh, this week. The NCAA tournament will kick off Friday in Indianapolis um, of next week. But um, we'll move on to the NFL. Big news coming off the NFL this week is Dak Prescott finally signs a long-term deal with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the deal is a four-year, $160 million deal with 126 guarantee. Um, something that I saw on uh, his contract is that he's going to be making more money in the next four years than Patrick Mahomes' contract. Uh, but this contract is the second richest of the quarterbacks in the league. Definitely an overpaying, but Chris, I'll start with you. Uh, are the Cowboys now going to be regretting their decision with their cap room? I mean, anytime you give a guy that much guaranteed money, it, it's definitely a risk, you know, with injury and stuff like that and like any type of drop-off on level of play. And cap room, yeah, I mean, they're kind of – they're rocking with the guys they got. And then with the addition of their – is it the ninth or tenth pick that they have in the draft? Ten, I believe. Tenth. So, I mean, that player is probably going to be the only immediate impact that we'll see on that team. So, I mean, we saw them with a lot of injuries right now, but don't look for them to make a bunch of moves in free agency, that's for sure. Yeah, I see them drafting defensive side of the ball 100%. Um, they need offensive line help. If they can find some cheap guys on the market, go after them. I don't see that happening, but let's go Dak Prescott, man. Good for him. He deserves this. This is, this is long overdue. Jerry Jones ended up having to pay a lot more than he should have. He did overpay. He did overpay. I want that to be stated on the record. The guaranteed he, number is, is it's seventy-five million dollars is what he's getting next season. Next season, that is absurd, absurd. So I do see that, and, and I'm trying to be positive about it because I love Dak Prescott. I think he's a great guy, great quarterback, one of the best in the NFL. But I see a Houston Texans situation kind of looming with the Cowboys potentially with that contract. I think that they have not enough guys surrounding him on the defensive side of the ball and they can't protect him. That offensive line is aged. So you're going to have a tough call in the draft. And if you're Steven and Jerry Jones, you better hope to God you hit on every single one of your draft picks. Like Chris said. Well, I'd agree. I think the Cowboys are in trouble. Um, you know, we talk about this, me and Chris talked about with this with the Falcons, when a team's playing a quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver that much money, it's tough. it's tough. I mean, you don't see a lot of examples where that works out. They're paying Zeke like a top five running back. They're paying Dak, obviously, and then they're paying Amari Cooper. Um, so they're not going to have a lot of money to spend. So 
Jerry knows he overpaid for this deal, obviously. I mean, they had to make up for the money that he he was making as, what, a fifth rounder? Yeah, hell, he even said – Jerry even said yeah. in the press conference, he goes, uh, more or less, something along the lines of, if anyone's going to finesse me or, or take advantage of me financially, I think is word for word what he said. I'm glad it's the guy next to me. And he well, points I- at Dak Prescott. What the hell is that? A little weird. That just seems backhanded to me a little bit. Like, like you know you overpaid the guy because you screwed up and didn't pay him early on, and now you kind of want to backtrack on that? I don't know. It's a, uh, it's, a, it's a good situation for Dak Prescott, though, I'll tell you that. Of course. Um, but we'll see what happens in Dallas. Um, and, you know, good for Dak. He, he definitely has waited and took, took the high road on that front. Um, but we'll move on to – NFL free agency, which is heating up. Uh, it will really start to kick off, what did you say, Chris, next Monday? Yeah, so uh, everybody following NFL free agency, the legal tampering period starts on Monday the 15th, so expect deals to start getting announced that uh, that morning and throughout that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, you know, as a diehard Jets fan, a team that's been constantly trying to improve, it's safe to say when it comes to free agency, I live for this shit, brother. So, I mean, just some things to look out for. Uh, this is going to be a very unique year thanks to COVID. For the first time since the salary cap was introduced in 1993, the salary cap is going to decrease down to $182 million. Uh-oh. So, look, so basically my take on this, what I think how this is going to impact stuff is that agents are going to be trying to get their guys' contracts quickly. I think they're going to be trying to get with teams and make sure that their guys are taken care of. You don't want to be the veteran sitting around come Friday, Saturday, Sunday when a lot of the money is already allocated for. So I think agents are going to be jumping and – uh they're going to really be pushing closely. But it is a pretty good free agency class as well. Uh, maybe not so much quarterbacks now that Dak Prescott got locked up, but running backs, you got guys like Aaron Jones, Chris Carson, uh, wide receivers, guys like Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Curtis Samuel, Will Fuller. Corey Davis. Corey Davis, another one. Come on, brother. Offensive line. Now we saw Mitchell Schwartz get added to it. Trent Williams' name is going to be out there. Joe Thune is a great football player. Corey Lindsey, one of the best zone blocking centers think, in the league last year. Think about the safety market. You safety, know, John know Johnson got away like, from the Rams. It's Keanu not the sexiest Neal. position, but, dude, safety's loaded. Malik Hooker is a, a former first-round pick just sitting on his couch going forward. Nobody's really going to be jumping, jumping, out, jumping out of their couch to come and, uh, you know, give him a call. Seems like this is one of the best edge yeah. rusher classes I've seen, free agency classes we've seen in a while. And you got guys like Carl Lawson, Trey Hendrickson just had a good year, Bud Dupree. Uh, Shaquille Barrett, obviously, you know, I mean, there's, there's football players out there. If your team uh, has, you know, certain needs and a little bit of cap room, like they definitely have the opportunity to improve this upcoming week. Yeah. I like how you said that some of these teams are going to end up, or some of these agents, excuse me, are going to end up jumping on deals earlier rather than later this free agency period. And I agree with that. And I think that teams are going to benefit that don't have a ton of cap space from this. I think that you know, as a Falcons fan, I feel good about the team getting one or two free agents that I probably wouldn't have expected probably last off season. I know we got Dante Fowler and we picked up Todd Gurley, but we saw how that went. So we don't have a ton of cap room, guys. And that's really our problem as a team. But going forward, I think Chris's point about how some of these agents are going to be really emphatic on getting these guys contracts early is going to end up costing some of these players money and benefiting these teams that don't have a ton of cap room. Yeah, I'd say certainly the leverage, like you're saying, uh, is a little bit more with the team this year than other years. Talking specifically about the Falcons, everybody knows they're a little bit, you know, tied and with their hands whatnot. A guy that I'd really like to see them make some, like, move around some contracts for and go after is John O. Smith. You know, we saw him break out the last year, year and a half of the Titans under Arthur Smith. 
And I mean, I don't see any reason why the Falcons should not look to pursue and bring him to Atlanta. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. You know, and Hayden Hurst, we traded to get him, but that pick's done. You know, it's gone. We don't have it anymore. We have to look past it. He's on our roster. He's our tight end. But here's the deal. Johnny Smith is a guy that jumps off the page immediately for Falcons fans, I'm sure, with his tie to Arthur Smith in Tennessee and his growth and young age. Corey Davis is my guy. If I'm a Falcons fan, I want Corey Davis. And Arthur Smith's been emphatic already also about talking about how we want to add to the receiver room. So watch out for Corey Davis maybe to the Falcons with this loaded receiving core. We saw Kenny Galladay didn't get tagged. Um, That's a big name on the market. And, you know, he's probably going to set the market, I would say. Is that safe to say? Kenny, yeah. I mean, he's 27 uh, in the injury history, but, I mean, he should probably walk away the highest paid receiver out of that bunch. Uh, I would agree with you, yeah. Yeah, so you could get a bargain on some of these receivers. And then same thing in the safety market, you know. So those are two positions of need for teams around the league, specifically our team in Atlanta. So it's going to be interesting to watch, and it's going to heat up more and more over these next few days. And then uh, not, to, not to go over long on the NFL uh, like we always do, but uh, t- a couple teams that I would just look for everyone to just uh, – everyone should look to be just overly active. I'm going to go with the Jacksonville Jaguars oh, and yeah. look for the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick to allocate their cap room and, you know, try to get that team back to the championship level it- it's been at the last decade. Well, this is going to be a wild year for free agency. Uh, like Chris said, the cap is being cut tremendously. Um, and, I mean, you've seen a lot of, a lot of teams make, make moves this, uh, this week, especially with cutting players. You know, you see the Saints – uh, they're really starting to figure out that they are going to have to make some moves um, with with how they've um, signed and cut guys in the last couple of days. But it's heating up, uh, and we cannot wait to see where some of these guys go and if they come to our teams. Um, but last but not least, we'll move on to the Players Tournament, which teed off this morning um, from Jacksonville, or Pontevedra more specifically, at TPC Sawgrass. Uh, as we know, this is the um, – course with the famous 17th island green uh, always a daunting shot um but one thing that we'll, we'll talk a little bit about golf start with bryson dechambo just because he's tearing the tearing the cover off the ball um but he won last week he had that heroic uh shot on number 18 where he carried about 340 yards i don't see the length really paying off for this course but something interesting that he was trying to do was he was trying to go to the left of the water on 18 and play it so like he was playing on the ninth hole. Um, and then, obviously, they said you can't do that. But it really just speaks to DeChambeau's, uh, and speaks to DeChambeau and how he can launch it off the tee. Uh, but that will – the final round will be on Sunday. Sergio is currently leading at seven under. Um, but you got, you got a lot of familiar faces, you know, on the leaderboard. I know that, you know, it'd be hard to pick a winner right now and not seem like a biased, biased pick because we, you know, we, we're already a day into this thing and it's already, you know, kind of heating up a little bit. Some of these guys are already through 18. So I'm not going to give a pick, but I'm looking here at the leaderboard and I see some familiar names to, a, you know, your casual golf fans. You see Jordan Spieth, you see Phil, you see Justin Thomas. So, um, you know, it's exciting to see some of those guys. Would love for Tiger to be in it as a casual golf fan. Um, you know, hope he's doing better. Seems like he is, but you know, the sooner that uh, the sooner that golf has like a true star, I feel like the casual fans are going to truly be interested and invested into every tournament, which I think is important for the game. Yeah, um, this course has got a ton of water on it, water on every single hole. Um, and Rory actually played this morning and and was victim to that, hitting just like I think he had four balls in the water. What's his score? Shot like seven over. Jesus. So. 
he's probably going to miss the cut. Um, but it's good to have this tournament back. You know, last year when the pandemic happened, this was the tournament that uh, they played the first round and they had to shut everything down. Um, so we didn't even get a tournament last year. So it's good to have this one back. Um, really good leaderboard, like Blake said. I'm probably going to – you know, Sergio is seven under. That's a hell of a start. You know? But it's Sergio. He plays TPC well when he's on. Who when cares? He's, off, he's an he ass. He's an ass. He is an ass. Wouldn't you rather just in your head just go ahead and envision a beautiful Sergio meltdown on Sunday? That sounds awesome. Yeah. I'd rather see that than Sergio walk away with a trophy. And I don't even care that much about the about the tournament. Yeah, Ford and I are going to have problems about Sergio. But um, I just figure our – Listeners should be informed. Uh, as a man who did buy a set of irons this week, he did. I did take Webb Simpson to win. I believe he's one under through he today. Yeah. So you know, time for twenty third. Webb's gonna be quiet. He's gonna sneak out. He's gonna spider web. He'll be there someday. He's a, he's got a great number twenty three. He's tied for twenty third. He's in contention. But I think that you know Justin Thomas could end up uh, you know walking away maybe with uh, with the trophy come Sunday. And I think that Alabama, you know, the Crimson Tide, his alma mater, very well could win the SEC tournament Sunday as well. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know, it's it's one thing I will say about this tournament is it's good to have Spieth back. Um, as I know, the last couple of years, Spieth was set to be the, the guy on tour that was – I mean, people were calling him the next Tiger. And then he just had that lull in his game. But he's putting better. That was ultimately his struggle. So it's good to have him back. But I'll tell you who I would absolutely love to win this tournament is the hefty lefty, Mr. Phil Mickelson. Uh, Phil had a pretty good day today. He normally doesn't really have that much consistency when it comes to tournaments like this, so we will see it in the weekend. But to have a guy over 50 on the senior tour to win this game would be awesome. Um, but we'll see as we go into the weekend um, how that unfolds. He needs his partner out there. He needs old Charles Barkley, right? Where's old Charles? Charles, Charles come and uh, caddy, do a, a little celebrity caddy for him here in the, uh, in the next few days of competition. That'd be, uh, that'd be uh, worth watching for sure. Yep, but uh, we got on a ton of sports this weekend. Uh, it's going to be awesome. College basketball, NBA, golf, NHL, uh, spring training, baseball. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be an awesome weekend leading up to the NCAA tournament. Um, I'll stop on baseball real quick before we get to our interview. Um, Blake, what news you got for us this week? Man, so. Well, here's the biggest news for the Braves, okay? So the Braves were rumored to be considering retiring, you know, one of the greatest players in franchise history, Mr. Andrew Jones, number 25. And Christian Pache, who's considered to be Andrew Jones' like prodigy, I guess, he has now officially became the new number 25 for the Atlanta Braves. So it's a tough legacy to carry on. I'm going to be interested to see how he plays. He's hitting the ball really well off the bat so far in spring, so – He's probably going to start from day one. That's exciting. Um, Freddie Freeman and Max Freed made their debut since our last podcast. They look good. Kyle Wright looked excellent today. Um, the rotation is still kind of out of whack. We don't know exactly what's going on. And outside of that, league news, uh, Trevor Bauer is beefing with everyone already in spring training. What a jerk off. He is an ass. I am so happy he is not in Atlanta. Yeah, come on. I mean, God, he is easily a top three pitcher in baseball right now. But what an absolute ass. You, if you're the guy that's chirping people on spring training, get a life, man. Like, you're too good to do that. You just want to sigh young. 
and I, you're chirping man. I pitch with one eye closed. Come on, what is that? What is that shit? It's, it's Bush corny. League. It's corny. Bush That's League, Bauer. Is. Yeah, it's corny. And I think that Bauer doing all his antics and stuff during the regular season is one thing. And, you know, I'm being a hater because he didn't sign with the Braves, of course. But, man, the Dodgers just got a little bit easier to hate, which is awesome because nobody is going to root for them. I don't think even in America, outside of Dodgers fans, I think everyone's rooting against them. And it's good. It's good because I feel really good about the Braves going into the NL East this year. They should be the champs again, three years and counting. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. I'm ready for it to start. And uh, I'll go ahead and let the listeners know. We have an exciting podcast coming up here in the next few weeks. April 1st, we're going to have uh, a couple of Braves guests. I'm not going to reveal the names yet. We're going to keep that a secret and announce it on our Instagram. But uh, stay tuned for that information and uh, let's go Braves. All right, yeah, Braves baseball will uh, get started in early April, so we are very much looking forward to that. Uh, but we'll now move on to our interview with UGA basketball star J.J. Frazier. We talked about his time in Athens, the unparalleled competition he won against, and the current state of Georgia basketball as the Dogs will kick off the SEC tournament against Missouri uh, tonight. Um, but here he is, J.J. Frazier. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. Today we're joined by the eighth all-time leading scorer in UGA basketball history, Mr. J.J. Frazier. J.J., thanks for joining us today. I appreciate y'all. Thanks for having me. Well, J.J., it's been some time now since your playing days at Stegman Coliseum. Could you fill our listeners in a little bit about your uh, professional basketball career overseas and where you're calling us from? Uh, I'm currently in Italy. Uh, I play basketball in Italy in Treviglio. This is my fourth year in Italy. I started out in France, and uh, after that, I've been in Italy ever since. And then from high school, <laughs> you made the jump to uh, play basketball at UGA, and you yeah. – we're one of the best players we've ever had playing at for us in Athens. What do you think made your game so effective playing in the SEC? Uh, I mean, well, appreciate you saying that. Uh, that's a big honor for me. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I learned the game, I think, early on in my career. Like, I was talented, but I didn't understand the game of basketball well enough, especially at my size in the SEC at that time. Like, now it's a lot more offensive-minded. Um, and when I played, it was a lot more grit and grind. Let's be physical. You know what I mean? So I, I had to really understand uh, the mental part of it because at my size, I had to be two or three steps ahead of everybody else. So once I started to figure that out and understand that, I think everyone saw. I, I don't think everyone understood why I made that jump, but then they saw the jump. And it was just mental, man. I, I was doing everything I was supposed to do on and off the floor. So it made it, it made the basketball game that much more clear for me. Right. And so during your time you spent in Athens, who would you say your favorite teammate was to play with? That's tough for me, man, because all of my teammates brought something different. And each game I had a I had a great moment with each of them. I, I would say this for each year, the majority of that that player change. So like my freshman year, me and Jawan Parker didn't play. You understand? So and that's my best friend. So that was my role dog. So we sat over there and, you know, analyzed the game from the bench most of the time. Then my sophomore year as I played um, in my junior year was Kenny Gaines. Um 
because a lot of times we were side by side and, you know, when Chuck was in foul trouble or, you know, Chuck was at the free throw line, hell, a lot of the game. So, we, you know, me and Kenny would talk and stuff like that. And then my senior year, I, I mean, yeah, my senior year for sure, I, I believe it was for me was it was it was probably Derek um, because he was like I knew he could be a really good player. He could be a really good big man if you listen. So I was hard on him a lot of times. But um, I loved all my teammates equally. I think just the different stages in my career changed the role um, for me on the team. So that 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 always changes. <clears throat> JJ, let's rewind to the uh, 2016 SEC tournament. Georgia played Kentucky in the semifinal, um, and you had to go against uh, Jamal Murray, who had 26 points. Was it clear to you at that time that Murray was well on his way to becoming an elite talent? What year was that for me? My that was 20, 20, yes. Yeah, 2016. Correct. Yeah, yeah. When I, when we played them the first time, hell, I knew he was he was top three, top four. Um, because the, the pace that he played with was unbelievable at 18. You couldn't speed him up. You know, he, he took all the shots that he wanted to take. So, you know, for us, we just wanted to make it tough for him. We knew we couldn't stop him. Um, but, you know, we knew at that time we was a pretty good defense. We was always top three or four in the league and top 10 in the country, top 15 in the country. So we prided ourselves on trying to make it tough for players. But he was one of those guys that was just – he had a knack for scoring, man. It was just – it was just one of those things you had to deal with. Right. And then in JJ, uh, in 2017, around February, your boy Yante Maton went out with an injury. Uh, in his yeah. absence, you, uh, you did a little bit of damage yourself. You averaged 29.6 points per game during a five-game stretch. What clicked for you at that time? Uh, I, I mean, I was – for people to understand, man, like playing a point guard, you can't just be out there shooting 20 times a game. You understand what I mean? Like, and in our offense, that's that wasn't that wasn't the type of player that I was. I had to make sure that everybody touched that basketball because we need to play defense. And in the defensive minded scheme, if if everybody is not happy on offense, somebody like somebody is going to miss an assignment just because they're thinking about offense. So um, when Yante went down, everybody knew. Well, everybody felt like he was our best player, and you know, I, I felt like in my own right that I was the straw that held us together um, because I was doing everything that was the most important. So when he went out, it it hurt me because I knew we, we was getting to the tournament because we were just starting to gel as a team. Everyone was starting to get healthy. Everyone was starting to understand their roles. It took us longer than what we thought, but we were there right at the time we needed to be. Um, and I think if he doesn't get hurt, we, we went out and, and make the tournament. But for me, I was just trying to show people, like, I could do this. Uh, but it's a, it's a team first for me. It's about winning the game. So, and that shifted to to more pick and rolls, to more up-tempo play, which Coach Fox allowed me to just do whatever and um, use my, my basketball IQ. And it, it worked out for that, for that stretch. I was fortunate enough to watch that 2017 play a couple times in person. And I want to <laughs> say Yante went down the game at home against Kentucky. Against Kentucky, which, first minute and a half. Yeah, which goes into yeah. the, this question. Whenever you play against Kentucky, they're obviously going to have some top talent. I know that year they had uh, De'Aaron Fox, Fox, Bam Adebayo, and Malik Monk. I got to watch y'all play. Isaiah Briscoe, Derek Willis. 
Come on, man. They had some dudes down there. <laughs> they had some dudes down there. 35, 36 that night? I had 36 that night, yeah. yeah. So And a loss. How much more did it mean to go up and play against Kentucky your four years uh, at UGA, just knowing how much – like national recognition they got compared to us. Man, I didn't. I didn't care, man. Like, like I, for me, I competed the same against anybody. You know, we played Winthrop, and I'm out there. For me, it's the same as Kentucky. You understand? Because I'm trying to win a game. So if my grandma's out there, I'm I'm gonna go at her. So it, it that's just my mentality. So when uh when I play when we played Kentucky, we knew they were they were the be, probably top five team in the country, if not the best team in the country, and most likely the best team in my conference. So we're gonna have to bring our best, obviously. If not, they're gonna run us out the gym. But we also knew we have to make them play a little down from what they're what they're used to. And so um we just try to make the game ugly, make it as tough as possible. Um they were super talented. Five or six lottery picks every year. So, you know. You know, we took them to the limit, and we just could never make that extra play to beat them at that time. But, you know, I, I respect my boys for, for battling every year. Right. And then, J.J., so all four of your years you spent in Athens, you played under Coach Mark Fox. Could you talk a little bit about Coach Fox and then his uh, his development in your game and then how he shaped you as an individual and an athlete? That's my dude, man. That's my dude. I, I say that with – with so much respect for him, cause at cause at one point it was a it was an all hate relationship, and the hate was for me, cause I didn't understand what <clears throat> the end goal was. You understand? Cause I'm 18, and a lot of stuff is is moving fast in life. Getting to college from a small town, no curfew, no really, you know what I mean? It's it's a, it's a lot of things going on. Then you try to do class and play basketball at the highest level, and like he understood at my size that I had to be tougher than anybody. So he, he tested that toughness more than anything. And he tested my mental toughness. And when I wasn't ready, he'll let me know that I wasn't ready. So um, as a man, I, I don't think there's 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 a handful of men in the industry of, of college basketball that is as genuine as he is. Um, I think he doesn't get enough credit for that. I don't think people understand. That's why we play so hard for him. Even win or lose, we was out there giving us Everything, even if we were mad at each other, we was like, all right, bro, let's pull this stuff together. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, we don't want him to be embarrassed either because he works just as hard as we do in the office and everything else. So he had our respect and our love. And I think for the most of the guys, he does. Um, but the relationship is still there. I talk to him every month for sure, at least twice. Um, we talked the other day. I'm going out there this summer to, to work out with his team. So. Um, I talked to him. He's a good dude. And the way everything played out, you know, obviously from my perspective, because I played for him, uh, obviously I didn't. I felt like one more year with the with the recruiting class of Ashton Hagens and what he alone would have brought, I think, would have changed us in a, at a more elite level. Um, but that didn't happen. So uh, I hope that answers your question, bro. <clears throat> let's let's move on to the current state of Georgia basketball. Since your departure, the team has struggled tremendously with uh, Tom Crean leading us. So, do you think the best days as Emmett's head coach are in front of us, or do you just not see a very bright future coming up the next couple of years with him? Uh, that's a loaded question, man. I, I, I think 
I think like I've 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 was asked this question before, and I think it's it just the way you look at like if you see the the past state where where I left the program basically. So from the moment I left the program, if you felt like we needed to rebuild, then we're okay with moving forward. We should be moving forward. Like so, it, but if you think we coach was here to elevate, coach Cream was there to elevate us, then I think we're we're moving backwards. If, if that, if you understand what I'm saying, because when we left it, we were winning consistently, 19, 20 games a year. Like on average, I won 20 games a year. And on average, I finished third in the SEC, right? And I left the second winningest player in Georgia history. But nobody talks about that. You understand what I mean? Because we didn't win the big games and we didn't do everything. We was always – like the sophomore year, my sophomore year, we, we went to NCAA tournament. I had a broken shooting name nobody knew about. Kenny had a broken foot nobody knew about. Coach Wayne going to give us – give an excuse to the media saying, well, you know, JJ had two fractured bones in his hand and Kenny Gaines has a fractured foot. So, no, nah, nobody got any of that. And you know what I mean? So it was like we was always winning. And Yante, my senior year, breaks his, uh, messes up his MCO. Derek, my junior year, uh, messes up his shoulder. You understand what I mean? So now we, we was always behind in those times. So you just have to look and, and – Think to yourself and how you feel as a fan if that current state wasn't good enough and we we wanted to elevate or we was behind and now we're catching up, if that makes sense. Well, JJ, the, uh, the 2021 SEC tournament will kick off this weekend and the Dogs will play Missouri on Thursday night. Um, they'll most likely have to win to get into the tournament, but I want to ask, do you expect some fight from them this weekend? They have to win the SEC tournament to get into the tournament. Most likely, yep. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I hope I hope they bring some fight um, because that's all I ask for, man. Because I, I I know right now it's it's a lot of moving parts, especially with COVID, and it's a lot of uncertainty. So for me, it's just the effort because they're not getting paid to win games, man. You know what I mean? So it's like if you just go out there and give you your best, and I can see that you out there. And the fans can see that you playing your ass off. Like, who wouldn't respect you for it? Who, you know what I mean? Like, yes, we're we mad you, you lost. We lost the game, but it's a game. But when you lose my thirty and there's no effort and you know there's no fight and there's no pride, then what you doing it for? Who you doing it for? What's the point of of, of playing competitively if you're not gonna be out there trying to trying to win? You know what I mean? And if they're right. better, if they're a better team, sometimes a team is just better. Like, okay, that's cool. But like I tell my dudes, they put their pants on just like you. You understand? They can have a bad night just like you, and let's make them have a bad night. So you have to have that mindset. So do I think they're going to come up with, with, with pride and energy? Yes. Do I hope? Yes. But am I sure? No, I'm not. All right. Well, we'll see Thursday night. For all you dog fans looking to stay in touch and up to date with damn good dog, JJ Frazier, give him a follow on Instagram at j.frazier30. JJ, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, we appreciate your time today and for the countless memories while wearing a Georgia jersey. Um, good luck in Italy playing professional basketball. And as always, go dogs. Thanks, brother. Y'all take care, man. Go dogs. All right. Thank you for listening to Division Two Sports. 
For all Division II sports news, follow us on social media at Division underscore two sports.